When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Here's the scenario. You've been injured in a serious accident. The doctor says your recovery could take months, maybe even years, yet your insurance company is denying your claim every step of the way. If something like this happens to you, call me, Brian Goldfinger of Goldfinger Personal Injury Law. We have offices in Toronto, London, Peterborough, and now Kitchener-Waterloo. Visit goldfingerlaw.com and get us working for you. Hey, that was honestly pretty good. The Raptors, extremely shorthanded. Not as much as they were against the Cleveland Cavaliers. Not only four rotation players. Not the Donald Bantons, the Svima Hilux, etc., etc. Pascal Siakam, Gary Trent Jr., Malachi Flynn, back in the fold tonight. Chris Boucher, who I said after last game, who cares if he was pulling up some funky shots and he was taking too much or more, a larger bite than he can chew or anything like that, right? Who cares? That game was completely meaningless. He provides real offensive pop. Just wait a beat. See what happens. Well, this guy gave you 28 and 19 tonight, 10 of 14 from the field, almost equaled Embiid's offensive output. Obviously not the raw offensive output if we look at like how much gravity Embiid has and how much attention he has. But 28-19 to combat Embiid's 36-11-4, I mean, he was he was phenomenal. He, he was terrific, and he was exactly what the Raptors needed in a game where Gary Trent went 6 of 24 from the floor, Malachi Flynn was 2 of 12, and Yuta Watanabe was struggling to provide uh, much volume offensively. He was fine. He was 4 of 6, 2 of 3 from downtown. But as far as actually bringing, you know, a lot of potency or bite to the Raptors, it, it just wasn't really there. DJ Wilson cleared COVID protocols for the second half, not the first half. He brought the cape with him. He played phenomenal defense and really helped the Raptors kind of settle down on what they wanted to do against Embiid because Embiid was running roughshod over them in the first half because Utah had three, Boucher, I think, had four, Siakam had three, and so they had to play because they have hardly any healthy players, kind of pile on defense. They had to transmogrify into the orange versions of themselves so that they didn't foul out so the Raptors could actually maintain a little bit of their offensive juice in this one. But as it turns out, the Raptors didn't have enough offensive punch down the down the stretch. Joel Embiid is a wholly uh, monstrous presence in the NBA he, he just, it was too much for the Raptors to handle. He, they had to pay him too much attention. It opened up stuff elsewhere. And even when he was just taking the ball himself, he's he's a monster. He, he's unbelievable. And the 36-11-4, my God, on like 70% shooting, 12-14 of 14 from the line. I mean, Tobias Harris just cutting off of his gravity. Really, the Raptors in rotation all the time. Even Tobias Harris had 
14 free throws in this game. Maybe that's a bit much for you. Maybe that's a bit too rich for your taste, but he definitely deserved at least some free throws because he was getting into spaces on the floor where the Raptors had to chase after overloading on Embiid. And yeah, maybe 14 is a bit much. Maybe you don't like seeing 28 between Harrison and Embiid, but they got to the line. They went 93% and 86% from the line, respectively. They went to the charity stripe. They hit their shots there. And the Raptors lose 114 to 109 in what is, you know, a banner game for Pascal and Chris Boucher in particular, and DJ Wilson as well, who's no doubt trying to translate this hardship hardship exemption signing into something more tangible for his NBA career. And performances like this, 13 minutes played in the second half, 9.6 rebounds, a very, very strong defensive performance, and a plus 12, and three fouls that he used, I think, in, in very good fashion. This, this was a great game for those three players. Gary Trent Jr., Two big shots down the stretch, a little floater in the lane, and that sidestep three. Really nice to see him hitting shots. The assists in this game as well, he was being a little bit more mindful of keeping the ball in his hands to probe just because he knew his shot wasn't there. And was he effective down the stretch after he hit those two shots back-to-back? No, because the Raptors, they tried to go back to that Pascal Siakam, Gary Trent Jr. pick and roll, Gary on ball, Pascal screening. They did stagger sets for it. They tried to go like Miami to get into the action. They did a bunch of stuff to make it a little bit more complex to try and get the 76ers off balance. It just didn't end up working. The ball stayed in Gary's hands. Two misses. And that's tough because you're asking him to create against one of Tobias Harris, who he doesn't really have a speed advantage on. It doesn't have a definitely doesn't have a size advantage on. So you're just asking for incredible shot making, which sometimes Gary can provide wasn't able to in this game. And then the other one where Joel Embiid stepped out on him, he tried to take Joel Embiid to the rim. Joel Embiid basically swallowed that up. Like Gary was in no man's land and had to throw up a really bad layup attempt. So I, I don't blame Gary for taking shots. If if it were up to me, I would have liked to see these possessions, especially when he had Embiid switched on him. I would have liked the ball funnel to Pascal's hands to see what he could do against Tobias. But, you know, Gary, he had just hit two shots in a row. He was seeing what he could do given the situation. And that's kind of how it works out sometimes. They tried to run the action to get the advantages. They couldn't do enough down the stretch. And the Raptors had the misfortune of Gary left a pass to Pascal a little bit short on the sideline. Matisse jumped it, hit the ball down, and it bounced off of Pascal's foot. It's just really harsh luck for the Raptors in a game where they fought like hell to stay in it. They lost 114 to 109, and it's... uh, It's something that a lot of the players on the roster should be proud of, especially, you know, there was the big offensive burst from Pascal and Chris Boucher, obviously. But the defensive chops in this game to keep guys like Tyrese Maxey to five points or uh, Seth Curry to 12, really, really impressive. A, because the closeouts were on point. The exouts were on point. The defensive coverage on the outside, the perimeter, was actually quite impressive. And... When you're looking at a front line of DJ Wilson, Pascal Siakam, and Chris Boucher, and you don't really have guys like Fred Van Vliet or Kyle Lowry anymore, or even Danny Green or Kawhi Leonard coming over to help, coming to dig down on a guy like Joel Embiid, you have replacement-level players, and maybe not even replacement-level, but you have replacement players, hardship-exemption players in this game, like Daniel Oturu, who 
you know, he played six minutes and he had two blocks, but it was not a good six minutes for him. It's just, it's tough for him to hang in that situation. And Tremont Waters as well, who is really, really short in stature. So if he's coming over to double Embiid, he's significantly less effective just based on length and the passing lanes that are still available to Joel. So the... The players on the roster that the Raptors had today just were not well-equipped at all to deal with Embiid. And given the circumstances, I think they did as best they could to play within what is available to them. And the defensive coverage I thought was really great, but they got to the breaking point on defense too many times with Embiid sealing into really low position. And that was basically what happened for the Raptors. Everything that went wrong fundamentally in this game was because Embiid was the biggest man on the floor, and he's also extremely well-coordinated and talented at that size as well, and was leveraging his size into winning positions on the floor that the Raptors couldn't get out of. They couldn't rotate into saving the possession. They couldn't do it fast enough. And when they could, hell yeah, but it's just he was too deep too often, and the Raptors, they... They couldn't push him back out. They didn't, they didn't have the size. And quite frankly, they didn't have the fouls to actually try and keep that cement wall up because you have to foul to keep guys out of there sometimes. And I mean, they only had nine players on the roster tonight. They they only had like three bigs. And those guys were, you know, funneling through uh, fouls very quickly. So really too bad. Really too bad. Uh, the first quarter, basically, everybody was having a lot of trouble. And Pascal, I think he had 14 points on 6 of 8 shooting. He kept them in the game because the the 76ers overwhelmed early. Pascal was put in the precarious position he's been put in all year that he has to create an immense amount of value from the mid-range. And when he has that tiny sliver of space, he has to try and punch the gap to get to the rim to give the Raptors even a smidge of rim pressure against these teams. If Joel Embiid is caught stepping out during this three seconds, or, you know, typically it's around five or six seconds for NBA players in the key, that's when Pascal knows, like, if I can get a step on Tobias, if I can get a step on Maxi or somebody like that, I can take this ball. Or he's, you know, he's getting a little bit deeper into the paint using that that post-up dribble, kind of crab walking his way in there, and he says, can I puncture in here and get, a, you know, a rim attempt? Sometimes, yes, but oftentimes Embiid is in waiting. They're overloading on Pascal. And if he makes the pass out, it's not going anywhere because it's just going to be reset. The ball's in Malachi Flynn's hands, for example, or Gary Trent Jr.'s. And Pascal had the, you know, unenviable, unenviable position of trying to create a whole bunch of stuff for everybody. Created quite a few layups for his teammates in this one, whether he was short rolling or whether it was passing against the doubles, sometimes triples that he was seeing. He was very good, very heady decision-making there. And relieving the offensive pressure with quite a few mid-range jump shots to keep them afloat. And that's basically how the game started out for the Raptors. And Pascal Siakam is the story of the first quarter. And the story of the first half is definitely uh, Joel Embiid putting them to the screws, putting them in foul trouble, keeping them at bay. And the second half, honestly, Pascal Siakam, you could see fatigued. He ended up playing 40, basically 42 minutes in this game. And 21 shots, six free throw attempts. Like, that was a lot of volume for Pascal, especially given how much attention he had. Could Is there a version of this game where I would have liked to see him maybe get up like 25 shots? Definitely. But when you have that much attention and he misses a couple of shots in a row, especially when it's from the mid-range and you feel like, your touch is waning a bit. It's tough to ask a guy just to keep shooting from the mid-range in that fashion. And so, especially because big men 
are a lot more, uh, not trend, but run prone than guards just because of pick and roll possessions in the NBA. Like a guard can really force his way into a game offensively. And then there's some big men like Embiid or Jokic who are truly the best of the best that can just dominate through the post and they can pass really well when they get that attention. But tweeners like like even Tatum has has runs that you know he has really impressive runs in like a third quarter or something like that but he just doesn't have the pick and roll chops that smaller or more prominent guards do that can just keep applying that pressure through that play type all game and Pascal is in the same thing like what a defense throws at him can really affect what he's able to do in a game and there's like I don't know how many how many players make around max money in the league like 30 Pascal is not the only max player who can't exert his will in this way through heavy pick and roll possessions or anything like that. So as has happened often in this in this season, uh, the guards ended up taking the ball down the stretch and for, for a little while while Pascal was setting screens and spacing out and trying to, you know, face cuts or Corey cuts into the lane to try and present himself as an option, that kind of stuff. But it's the 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 game moved away from him a little bit, and uh, it's it would be cool if he exerted his will more. But you know, it's NBA basketball is not really built for Pascal Siakam to put up like thirty shots and take over. It's it's tough to do that in a game. It, it definitely is. And so, man, it it was great that Chris Boucher was just so willing to tee off from downtown, though, finishing five of seven from downtown, ten of fourteen overall. Do you know how insane that is? You know how awesome that is to see? Like, hell yeah, Chris Boucher. Because the Raptors are creating basically hardly any good looks. And Chris Boucher sitting above the break, which is a much tougher three-point shot than in the corner. The ball is getting to him. And he's just like, I'm going to fling it. We haven't created a good shot yet this possession. We haven't created a good look. But the ball is in my hands. I'm going to be the guy who tees off. And he did. And he went five of seven. The return on investment of those possessions, extremely high. That ROI is rocketing to the moon. And like with the extra the extra punch he provided with the offensive rebounds, four extra possessions in a game that was decided by five points, that's huge. You know, and Pascal, three offensive rebounds as well. These guys, when the game moved away from them as bigs, they were able to provide a little extra pressure, a little extra help in meaningful ways off ball like that. And that was mostly coming in the second half when the game moved a little bit more towards the guards' hands. And then just, you know, making smart cuts and stuff. But overall, that doesn't work down the stretch against a team like the 76ers. They had one really good pick-and-roll possession. That was where Gary Trent Jr. found Pascal slipping to the rim. Pascal, he didn't get much of an edge, if any at all. So he still had Embiid in one-on-one position. But... He played it calm. He played it patient. He got the ball up. And, you know, Embiid on the other side is just facing up from, like, 24 feet away, jab-stepping, jab-stepping, and hitting a three right in Chris Boucher's grill. That is just talent. That is an unbelievable amount of work that he's put into his jump shot, and that is a hell of a, you know, that is his braggadocio. That is his confidence that he's like, I'm going to make this shot. And Joel Embiid is very much capable of that. There's, You've probably seen it on Twitter if you partake you know, in Twitter or Sports Center, wherever you take in sports highlights, like Joel Embiid has had several games this year where he's just getting the ball to 18 feet and hitting like three shots in a row. This is a seven foot two human who's able to do that. And 
in a league of very big people, he ranks as one of the biggest. And and the skill that he's overlaid on top of that makes him almost impossible to deal with. So the Raptors, honestly, between Chris Boucher, Pascal Siakam, and even Gary Trent right at the end, showed off a significant amount of shot making. And they did all they could to get the Raptors to that point of the game. And DJ Wilson, particularly defensively, really fitting in. Like, you could look at, there's a, a clip probably, I can't remember, I think it was from the 2018-19 or 2019-20 season where DJ Wilson is cycling through like four closeouts on the same possession and ended with a block. Like, he fits very well into the Raptors' ethos of court coverage. And so it's very easy for him to just slide into a game like this and recognize, okay, I'm going to fit into this scheme. This looks good for me. And on top of that, it was pretty stout in the post given the size disadvantage that he had. And he was capable switching in and out of positions, in and out of matchups and stuff like that. So, yeah, all those guys, I think, are very notable performances from them. But overall, the Raptors, they come up short, 114-109, to 109, a heartbreaker. But, you know, Philly, who were they missing in this game? They were missing... Drummond, they're missing Danny Green, Shake Milton, Ben Simmons. Those are the names you'd recognize right away. And then there's a couple guys like Isaiah Joe and Bassey and stuff like that, who uh, maybe you know if you pay really close attention to the 76ers. But the Raptors are missing Fred. They're missing Scotty. They're missing OG. They're missing, you know, Precious, Banton, all these guys. And so they really felt that tonight. And the Raptors just... A hell of a performance to stay in this one, honestly. It was really, really impressive. A loss is never good. It's it's hard to swallow. But they were there, and it was completely on merit. And they played a hell of a game. Reggie Evans Award. Chris Boucher, obviously. 19 rebounds is an absurd mark to unleash on the world. I believe Blake tweeted out that Chris Boucher has the only two 28-19 games from the Raptors, and that just speaks to Chris Boucher's ability to stuff the hell out of the stat sheet. That's If the Raptors want to win this year, Chris Boucher should not be traded. You know, there's a lot of people who on Twitter, I, in the comment section as well, like that suggests trading Chris Boucher, and it's like the, anybody can be had in a trade. But if you're thinking like, okay, we're going to bring DJ Wilson in, and that means that we don't play Chris Boucher anymore. It's like, this is why Chris Boucher is a completely unique entity on the Raptors. Nobody else on the bench, even though he started tonight, no other bench player could come close to bringing this level of offensive pop. And the Raptors have had the worst bench in the NBA. By far, three-point percentage, scoring, whatever. They have not been able to help with the Raptors' offense whatsoever. And that's why Chris Boucher... A guy who was phenomenal last year offensively. Give it time. See if he turns it around. I mean, what else are you going to do given the situation? It's hard to trade for, you know, it's hard to trade for gifted offensive talents who will slide onto your bench in the NBA. Full stop. Contenders want them. Contenders gobble them up. It's like really good big men. Really good big men play mostly on contenders because they're just absolutely critical to what contenders want to do, to the versatility of play that they want. And of course, they have superstars on top of that, but gifted bench scores are not something that come along very often. And Chris Boucher's ceiling as a bench scorer is not something that's easily replicated. So if the Raptors want a puncher's chance at the playoffs this year, I think you need to kind of you know pencil yourself in for, I'm going to sign up for the Boucher experience 
and he's going to pop off and he's going to keep us in some games. I, that's where I am on Chris Boucher. I, I'm, uh, I'm definitely not out on him. And so that's, that's where I am. He, he really deserved it tonight. Just incredible hustle. What a performance from him. Top quick reaction comment is from Moderate Observer. End quote, uh, quote, I'm so tired of seeing the refs allow hacking on one side, but call every touch on the other. Stop steering the game. Just call it evenly. Positives. One of the best games I've seen from Pascal. He led the charge tonight. Boucher played big against the second best center in the league. They need to find a way to keep DJ. Good energy weighing off the bench is a bad thing to have. Happy to see Pascal defer to Gary to take big shots. He should get more of these opportunities. Negatives. Normally say Flynn's poor game was due to rust, but he hasn't shot the ball well all year. Maybe this is who he is for now. Maybe another summer in the lab and something will click for him. 14 free throws for Embiid. Okay, fine. But 14 for Harris. Pascal could only get six while being so aggressive. Embiid and Harris had more free throws than the entire rap squad. Come on, rap, rap, come on, refs. The Sixers defense isn't that good. End quote. Yeah, so basically the thing is that the Sixers defense wasn't often in rotation. And most free throws are called when a defense is in rotation. When you're catching up to a spot or he's trying to recover to a spot. Something like that, right? And Pascal... I, I thought he could have garnered a couple more free throw, you know, trips to the line, sure. But why were the 76ers getting so many free throw attempts? A, because Embiid is one of the best grifters in the league. He's huge. He gets hacked a lot, but he's also very good at exaggerating contact and putting defenses in compromised positions. But B, because Tobias was attacking a moving defense constantly. The Raptors are making drastic rotations to get into space. And the last call against Boucher that sent uh, Tobias to the line. I disagreed with that. I didn't think that was a foul. But overall, like Tobias was getting to the line because the Raptors were behind and are trying to play catch-up constantly. That's what Embiid grants you, is a defense that has to help a lot and rotate over. And if you don't help over and rotate, he's going to be in single coverage and he's going to eat the guy alive. As far as like Pascal deferring to Gary to take big shots, uh, I don't think Gary should get more big shots than he already does. Gary will take what comes to him, and that's fine. Gary is not pining for more looks on this team. He actually gets a lot of them. He gets a lot of possessions. And, you know, uh, Fred Van Vliet, Pascal Siakam, Scotty Barnes, whoever you like taking, or Gary Trent Jr., whoever you like taking the shot at the end, probably the thing that the Raptors are trying to achieve currently is where any one of them could take the shot on any given possession based on where the advantage lies there. And that's why they ran that action, right? Why did Gary Trent Jr. pass out instead of hitting a mid-range jumper against MB dropping? Well, because he saw that Pascal out of the step. Like, good decision-making from Gary Trent Jr., but it's like, where was the advantage on the play? In the pass to Pascal. Who made the shot? Pascal. Where was the advantage on other players when the defense sinks in completely and the ball funnels out to Chris Boucher in the corner or something like that, right? Where's the advantage? In a Fred VanVleet pick and roll, if the defense goes under, where's the advantage with a Fred VanVleet pull-up? Like, and Scotty Barnes, maybe they run like a keeper play. He gets a step on his defender. He's headed towards the rim. Where's the advantage with Scotty Barnes? I don't think Gary Trent Jr. is the type of player who you abandon all like, oh yeah, this guy has to be the guy. No, and there's a reason like the last couple of possessions failed because he couldn't create an advantage and he kept the ball in his hands. It, Gary Trent Jr. is not a salve. He doesn't solve every late game possession or anything like that. But yeah, I 
I don't think he should be getting like more of those opportunities, but I'm perfectly fine with the ball funneling to Gary Trent Jr. and him having a shot at stuff. But I I don't think he's the answer at the end of games or anything like that. He's he's hit a lot of difficult shots this year, but the point is that most points scored in a close game don't actually look like they are born out of Kobe Bryant's imagery. You know, most points scored in a close game come off of breakdowns and you get like a layup or a wide open three or something like that. That's what teams are trying to do. Create an advantage where they could get a good looking shot. I just resigning yourself to like whatever Gary Trent Jr. comes up with while he might have, you know, the top shooting talent on the team, the level of shot he'll create for you over whatever percentage of time I think is going to be less than if you try and run something that involves five guys and that incorporates different, you know, occupying the weak side with action and doing stuff like that. So, I mean, I don't know. That's fine. Yeah, DJ Wilson is good. I'm glad you like him too. Uh, the Raptors do have an open roster spot. They could sign him outright. Um, Blake Murphy also, uh, he commented on this saying or suggesting that they might wait and try and hold this off until they know exactly what they're doing with Dragic, how close they are to the luxury tax and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, it's uh, something to hold on to. And yeah, Flynn, Really tough for Flynn, man. Uh, the shooting hasn't translated from college whatsoever. He is, he's been a non-shooter since he stepped into the NBA. Guys like OG Ananobi, Scotty Barnes, despite having much different shot profiles, had way had a way better, you know, uh, had way better success translating or or just completely renewing what their shot looks like and and how it performs than Malachi Flynn has. And Flynn, as a guy who has shake and his game is really dependent on being able to make jumpers. When he makes jumpers, he can look really good really quick, but he just hasn't made jumpers at a sustainable level, at a good level yet in the NBA. Not not even close. And so that's really tough to see. But yeah, thanks for writing in, moderated observer. Uh, thanks for tuning in, listener. I hope you enjoyed it. But whether you got into it in the morning or at night, have a blessed day and goodbye.